Hello and welcome to Diminishing Returns. This week we are taking a trip into the depths of hell because we're going to be looking at Hellboy. Ooh, spooky, spooktacular. Actually, it's not very spooky, is it? Uh, comic book fantasy nonsense again with Hellboy. With me, Alan Turing, as always, is Sol Harris. Hello, boy. Uh, it's a pun. Yeah, yeah. And uh, joining us again, as he has done a couple of times in the past, is Scott Chambers. Also known as Heaven Boy. Did you see what I did there? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I, right, I'm known as Hell Girl. Oh, hey. oh that's so hot right now. Uh, guys, we're dealing with Hellboy. Hot right now. Um, like Selma Blair. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed, we are travelling back to the early 2000s when Selma Blair was a thing. That people wanted to hire. And <laughs> Guillermo del Toro liked making monster movies. Uh, and so the perfect combination um, in Hellboy. So Wait, are you are you are you trying to suggest Guillermo del Toro doesn't like making monster movies anymore? Well, some things are ever present. He just won an Oscar yeah, about making a, a, a film about a, a fish monster. So <laughs> Yeah. Exactly. He, yeah, he doubled down on the monsters, okay. if anything. Abraham Sapien he, he, finally got his rocks off. It's paid off. With like people like you should be making films about monsters, Golmero, you know? Am I mispronouncing that? And he's won an Oscar for <laughs> it. Almost yeah, certainly. Yeah, a little is. bit. Golmero? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 that's right, yeah, yeah. It's, it's Golmero. Guillermo. <laughs> um, okay, so now, who out of you two, because it's not me, knows anything about. The history of Hellboy pre-film adaptation. Um, I think Scott might be the most knowledgeable person on this front. Oh, they were in trouble then. Based on me knowing nothing. Um, <laughs> I, I, do you know what? I should have done my research, but uh, I, I remember when I was when I was uh, a kid, I used to go to like the library and just pick graphic novels or, or comics, as uh, as Alan Moore would call them, because he doesn't like the term graphic novel. Um, <laughs> It's like I just—I don't know. I just—I remember just being uh, drawn to the Hellboy comics. I'd, the thing is, like libraries. So you—you've actually read them? There's not all of them. There's a, there's a few volume, volumes. That definitely means you're the biggest Hellboy fan then, because I—I've dabbled in comics. I've read quite a few, but I've somehow never, never managed to get round to Hellboy. It's just always kind of evaded me. I—I I do remember reading about bits and bobs of uh, Hellboy lore, and uh, I remember reading a very, very favorable thing about how kind of offbeat and weird it could be and it was talking about how he got paired up with a like zombie corpse of someone who he wore on his back for a while which does make it into the first yeah. film actually in a in a small uh capacity so like yeah I'm, I'm vaguely aware of it all but i really know it through these yeah same i mean like a few years ago like well it was, i think it was like 16 17 when i read quite a lot of them but well did you did you find anything to relate to with the uh sort of ugly freak that doesn't fit in with society yeah story I, mean, I think there's quite a lot of um interesting sort of concepts when it comes to like nature versus nurture and stuff like that in a really sort oh, yeah, of, yeah, yeah. in a really sort of you know fantastical way you know um yeah, I I got I think I got a lot more out of these two films watching them again for this podcast honestly because I I haven't picked them up since I watched them probably in it was probably about 2008 when I watched them both actually because the second one was coming out and superheroes were becoming a thing. Yeah, I 
I don't think I got nearly as much out of them back then as I I did now, kind of knowing more about who Guillermo del Toro is, um, having read a load of H.P. Lovecraft fiction, um, all this sort of stuff that's kind of informed the viewing that I I had. Yeah, it was just I was taking it in in a very different context this time round, and I found it kind of baffling. I I always just remembered these films being pre-Pan's Labyrinth, you know, being before Guillermo del Toro like became a respected filmmaker, <laughs> um, and it, it's kind of weird to watch them again, thinking like, oh no, this was his, this was his follow up to Pan's Labyrinth, the mm. second one. He, he kind of followed up his, you know, Oscar, you know, nominated, um, very well respected film. Some, many would say masterpiece with this superhero film. So yeah, Alan, how how did you first come to these? Oh, I don't recall, but it was many years ago, the last time I watched them, and it was just, you know, this is a film that's out, Ron Perlman is a big sort of beastie man, I'm alright with that. Well, that, that's another thing, actually, back back when I first watched these, I don't think I really quite appreciated the cast uh, that were involved, um, I knew who David Hyde Pierce was, uh, I knew who Seth MacFarlane was, so all the voice actors, mm. but... Um, I didn't, for example, know who... Oh, Ding Dong! Oh, God, already. <laughs> <laughs> hey, now! <laughs> oh, it's Jeffrey Tambor! <laughs> oh, that's all I've got. <laughs> Good. The catchphrase. Uh, I'm afraid you're too problematic to be on the podcast now, Jeffrey. Oh, You'll have to oh, leave. Oh, no. <laughs> right, right, that's that. Done. Good. Ticked off. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. Uh, okay, so uh, yeah, isn't John Hurt's voice brilliant? Because obviously oh, yeah. it starts with the narration by John Hurt, and it's just—it doesn't sound just like anyone else, voice. does he? Like you think about, yeah. It. But he's—he's a, he's a perfect example of someone who I didn't really know who he was back then. I guess because I had no memory of him being in these films, and then I, I loaded up the first one. I was like, "That's John Hurt narrating <laughs> this, isn't it?" And then, oh yeah, there he is. There he is. <laughs> it would have been good if he would have narrated it like uh, the Elephant Man, though. I think that would have made it more interesting. <laughs> Hellboy, Hellboy was from the darkness of uh, well, I can't remember the, the name of the island, <laughs> the Scottish Islands. That was my Elephant Man impression. It was very shit, wasn't it? <laughs> well done, Megan. <laughs> you we've had, you, we've had you forgot to ring the doorbell before you. It's <laughs> 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 the important thing with impressions is to really signpost it. I don't think Jeffrey Tambor needs to ring the doorbell anymore because he just comes in and goes, "Hey now!" <laughs> so um, now you can't go wrong in a kind of fantasy superhero film with some occult Nazis. Uh, always a good place yep. to start. Um, I guess. I guess this comes from the fact that most of these comic book stories originated in the fifties and, and you know, a little mm. bit later than that, and, and the Nazis were still hot shit at the time. Uh, it, well, when when did Hellboy originate? Because I've got a feeling it's a lot more recent than you know classic Marvel and that sort of stuff. But I'm basing this on nothing. Is it like mid nineties? <laughs> is it? I would say. Or yeah, I, I was going to say it, it always struck me like something born out of the the late eighties, early nineties. But that that's pure conjecture. Yeah, well, obviously he's discovered as a baby during the Nazis, and he has to grow up. But in in this film, the they kind of say like, oh yeah, he doesn't age like us, so it's like he's I, only I've looked it up. Nineteen ninety three. 
Oh, interesting. Because I, I didn't first Hellboy appearance. I wasn't sure if that was just some film like trickery to make it work that he's only supposed to be you know a young man uh, rather than like a sixty year old guy. Uh, just by saying, oh, he ages differently because he's a demon. But uh, it would work either way. I don't know what they're going to do in the remake that they're doing now, which we'll get to later on, because like, it's another 15 years down the line. He, like, You can't have like the guy who found him still alive, though, can you? You can't have like a John Hurt figure anymore. Mm, that's that's, true, that's the that's problem. True. Sort of, you, you, the further you get away from the old Nazis, it's like you, they're just not as much fun as a villain thing, are they? It's just... Yeah, so now it'll be like get discovered in Vietnam or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, probably. But that's it. I, I think I think when the comics did it, it was presumably quite a campy throwback to yeah, yeah, you know, old comic books from that era. Well, it's very uh, it's Captain America, isn't it, and all that. And... Yeah, yeah, I get the impression it was always quite a meta, self-aware thing they were doing, and that's certainly how it comes across in the the film. Well, one of my first notes, actually, is... Because, um, you know, I'm not into fantasy. I'm not really into superhero films. But this sort of fantasy nonsense is, is not really my mm. cup of tea. And I did make a note here that there's there's something about the way Guillermo del Toro approaches this sort of thing. There's there's always, like, a playfulness to it. There's always, like, a cheeky wink that kind of makes it okay. It kind of makes... It kind of, like, acknowledges that, yeah, we know this is all kind of silly as well. Just yeah. go with it. And, and I like that. And... and that's what I can't get on board with, like with your Lord of the Rings or whatever. It's just it's too po face. It's like, oh, I'm supposed to take yeah, this shit agree. seriously. Well, Del Toro always kind of has a a little cheeky wink that makes it work. <laughs> a little cheeky what? <laughs> I don't know. I, I quite like uh, these sort of fantasy type films. I think with fantasy, there's sort of there's no limits to what can be sort of done. But I, I suppose mm. that people sort of feel cheapened with with that when it comes to. Um, with magic films or fantasy films, because it always seems like it'd be yeah. a cop out. But this film seems to sort of ground it in a way which has its own sort of bizarre, you know, as you said, Lovecraftian sort of rules and stuff. A, a mythology which seems ingrained to it probably. Like when I first watched the F- Hellboy, I wasn't really into, I didn't really understand cosmic horror or, or um, the concept yeah. of it. But now, now so, I'm a little bit older and a little bit more neurotic. It's like it makes a lot of sense in a sort of creepy way. So. Um, well, that's it. I mean, I'm, I, I can go along with superhero stuff and this kind of thing if it's grounded in reality. Like Hellboy, he's super strong. It's like, yeah, I get that. It's just like he's a really strong guy, and he can jump higher and, and all that sort of stuff. It's when you start having people who can like they just sort of summon up little red orbs and then they can mind control people if they if that's needed or levitate things or turn it into fire. It's like just all this kind of nonsense. Where just is that a reference to a specific thing from these films? Because if it is, I don't remember it. No, not these films. Is... No, I'm all right with these okay. films. It's from the Avengers. Did <laughs> um, the... they summon up a red orb? I don't know. The woman, the woman who just pops up in one of the films and I didn't know who she was or why she was there, but then she was a main character. She summon up red orbs? Yeah, she's like red smoke that can do anything she wants it to. She's called like Red red Mistress or something. Scarlet Witch, yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's it. So, uh, yeah. So what's the setup of this film then? <laughs> uh, we we He's have a hell baby. Yeah, we have a little uh, sort of prologue where John Hurt tells us the story of I was a young man, nineteen forty four, and he goes. He's a paranormal investigator. He goes off with some Yankee troops to Scotland to 
investigate some nonsense, where basically a load of Nazis and Rasputin, of all people, for some reason, yeah, yeah. who's long dead by this point, is uh, fannying about with some portal to hell. Blah, blah, blah. That, not- that felt like a really... That that felt like a really messy comic book movie element. Yes. The fact that like it's Rasputin, presumably in the comics. Yes. There's presumably loads of backstory that goes into that. So they obviously thought, well, he's he's one of the villains from the comics. We've got to put him in the film, but they're not dedicating nearly enough of the film to the fact that it's Rasputin. Mm, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, so it just it's this weird tangent, really, that doesn't... I quite like the opening scene. I thought it was really... It give me that sort of uh, old Indiana Jones sort of vibes. Um, mm, yeah. yeah, Rasputin showing up, I suppose you need to know a bit more about his backstory for it to sort of... Well, I like... I would have been more forgiving if the Boney M song <laughs> made an appearance at <laughs> some point. If if Rasputin himself was like a real big fan of it, because he'd like adopted it as his theme tune, <laughs> so he just kept playing it when he appeared. <laughs> if if he'd come in and sort of just be like, "Hang on, guys, hang on, guys," and then like on his phone, like his little phone speakers, he just set it up and then be like, "Right." But he's like an old man trying to use an iPhone. Yeah, <laughs> he has to get um, his, like, his nephew to do it. Yeah. I think this. I think the second one sort of. Uh, I know we're jumping a little bit, but I think with the first one, there seems to be a little bit more. It does seem to be more darker than the second one. There is a lot of creepier stuff, like the well, clockwork Nazi. Yeah, you, I, like he's quite unsettling in a sort of strange way. Yeah, I honestly, I would say the first film is just less tonally consistent. Um, less tonally sure of what it's yeah. doing would be my read of it. It, 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 it. I I forgot how much of... Uh, I mean, it makes sense because it's from 2004, but it really is one of these first wave of modern superhero film movies, you know, hot off the heels of X-Men, Spider-Man. Yeah. But it's the anomaly in, in all these sort of films. It's the only one which is grounded in sort of supernatural mythology or maybe blade actually but i think blade was before then yeah blade definitely was obviously blade 2 was uh guillermo del toro's um first foray into mainstream hollywood film i don't know it's with 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 the mythology of uh like devils and demons and stuff especially in america where you've got the fundamental christians to have it's. I think it's a bold, bold move. To be honest, like I, I, I think people forget forget how hard it is to sort of try prom, promote yeah. Satanism or stuff like. I'm not. I'm not saying they promoted Satanism, but they, they promoted it. No, no, I know what you mean. I I had that thought when I was watching these, and it it really um it really struck me how. Uh, it, I think the films and probably the comics by extension are really very smart in that they don't really get into Christian. Uh, like proper Christian mythology, all that much. It, it's it's presented as hell exists, but perhaps it's this kind of Lovecraftian hell dimension, as opposed to there's the devil yeah. and there are demons and blah blah blah. And demons are monsters that appear to exist within this world, along with other tentacled monstrosities and things. But it it never feels like oh, it's heaven and hell. It, it's more an idea of maybe a Dog, you know, all this dogma has sprung up around it to present it as the religion that we know that's born out of. Well, there's definitely some Christian iconography. There's crucifixes and stuff knocking about. Um, but apart from that, yeah, you're right. It is much more of a 
Yeah, demons. Yeah, I think I've just remembered why I come up with that point. It's because I went uh, went on the remake, and we was in Wells yeah. Cathedral shooting uh, shooting that, and then a couple oh. of days later. There was people losing their shit, like local residents, like kicking off about why the church let mm. them film a mm. satanic film in the church, and it was like it's just they don't understand what they didn't understand what was what it was actually doing. If they'd actually taken the time to you know actually read what the film's about, you know, it's about yeah. a good guy basically fighting demons, you know. Um, but some people just can't get their heads around like nuance with stories like that, can they? Yeah, um, and 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 you know, if if I was a full on you know, to use the to use the phrase Bible bashing Christian and then I saw someone done up like Tim Curry and Legend with a gun. I'm I'm like walking around in the cathedral. I might be a bit like oh, I, I, how dare they it's the most blasphemous I, thing I've ever seen. I can understand that. But the thing is like yeah. I mean like I suppose it all depends on the sort of audience's mood for it. I think they're so used to sort of empowering superheroes that I think this is one of the reasons why Hellboy didn't do so great is that I don't think people like to be reminded of like darkness and death and stuff like for I think the superhero audience I, I suppose it has to be a bit more upbeat and triumphant in terms of you know kind actual of I role mean, models Infinity War went down massively massively well with people um even though it ended on a bum note and obviously everyone with half a brain knows that None of it's permanent, yeah. and they're coming back for the new film like less than a year later, and so on, and it's all going to be undone. But I've spoken to enough people who don't seem to understand that, and I imagine that's <laughs> a big chunk of the audience that have made it, you know, such a big hit. I, I think you know, people are all right with a bit of darkness, and and the the other thing is, you know, really horror. We're talking about it's an aesthetic thing when you're talking about horror superheroes. It they're never going to make or, or they're oh, not right, yeah, make yeah, that's that's what I mean. I don't mean R rated. I don't mean um, I don't mean dark as in like dark things happening. I mean like the actual characters of um, you know uh, grounded in darkness and sort of macabre. You know, uh, but then that I mean that is that that's Batman, isn't it? I suppose you could. Yeah, I suppose. But I think, I don't know, it's just every time these sort of films that come out and try to do something a little bit darker and, you know, uh, like League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, it's a great fucking concept, great comic, and they just fuck that up. They are they are good comics, actually. I've read those. They're, they're, they're really good. The second one in particular, where they, where they just do the War of the Worlds with superhero, like, characters thrown in, essentially, is outstanding. Yeah. I think, I, I don't know, I'm just, maybe, maybe I'm just being a little bit cynical, but I, I think when it comes to sort of... I don't know. It depends on the sort of era. I don't think uh, a dark sort of superhero. Just, I don't think it just connect. It doesn't really connect with audiences. I don't. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I think it's to do with how it's done. It, it, you know, Christopher Nolan, obviously, with Batman, people were into that. Yeah. That was, that was a big part of the appeal there. But then Zack Snyder, caught, you know, shat the bed trying to make everything dark for no reason. I think, I think people are up for darkness, but you have to. There has to be a reason for it. You have to know why you're doing it and approach it properly. Yeah. So, guys, uh, the first film, we are introduced to an extremely bland leading man. Um, oh, yeah. Sorry. I, I not Hellboy, obviously. Hellboy. No, no. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, the, the, who's the, giving a kind of... Our human, the human eyes yeah. of the audience. Yeah, and, yeah, he, yeah, and he plays the role of the... Incredibly bland. Yeah, he's the newcomer. He's the one who's introduced to this world of Hellboy, and, and so we get to see that with him as an audience. It's classic bit of script writing there. Yeah. That's fine. 
But yeah, this yeah, not a bad uh, not a bad concept for a character at all. But but yeah, a very blandly written and very blandly performed uh, character. Uh, by someone called Rupert Evans, who I've never seen in anything. <laughs> he is really bland. Yeah. It, like, I, I, he I, does I, still work. He's just, I looked him up. TV, mostly, it looks like. But yeah. I feel like De- Del Toro is a very odd director when it comes to casting. Throughout these films, they have got a very weird cast. Mm. Um, yeah. Um, there, there's a mixture of just like fantastic actors... Uh, in great, well-cast roles doing their thing. There's a few actors where it's just like, ooh, they're not great. Uh, (laughs) There's a few actors where it's like, who the hell is that? And you look them up and it's like, oh yeah, they haven't done anything before or after. (laughs) Uh, There's one of the singers out of Bross in the second film, inexplicably. That's weird. Um, I I mean, like I say, you know... even in the first one, the the decision to to have Doug Jones uh, playing Abe and then having him dubbed over with David Hyde Pierce, mm-hmm. only to in the second film drop David Hyde Pierce and because like oh yeah you can you sound pretty similar to David Hyde Pierce <laughs> actually <laughs> oh, that's fine was this was that I was going to ask actually, <laughs> like, was that like a was the, was the idea always, oh yeah, we'll get Doug Jones to do the physical stuff and then we'll get someone to voice it. And then they were like, oh, do you know what, Doug Jones can act, he's alright, well, let's use his voice. Or was it they did the first film and they thought he was shit so they dubbed him? <laughs> it's, it's weird, isn't it? Because I, mean, I, I definitely prefer David Hyde Pierce's voice. Um, but it it's a very subtle difference and uh, it's also quite jarring how blatantly dubbed in he is yeah. in the first film. So I probably opt to just have Doug Jones do it himself for that. It, like, it can't have been a studio decision. Like, we have to have big name David Hyde Pearson because he's not even credited in the first film. Yeah. He, he did it uncredited. So, um, is Selma Blair the big get here? Is she the? Is she, well, the... I, uh... she always looks like she uh, she needs a cup of coffee or something. Selma Blair. Everything <laughs> I see her in it. Selma Blair. I I had such like watching these films. I was like, God, what have I seen her in? Like, she's so familiar. And then. I looked it up repeatedly. I looked it up because I couldn't quite believe it, and it's like it's nothing. <laughs> I don't think I've seen her in anything. <laughs> she did Mum and Dad a few years ago with Nicolas Cage, which was sort of like after she was established as a. She was. A, she's like a Selma She's Blair. like the Christian Stewart of the early noughties, I think. Like, <laughs> yeah. but I haven't seen any of those films. Why is she so familiar to me? I haven't seen Cruel Intentions. Cruel Intentions is definitely a thing that. She was in, you know, like that was what she was known for, and then yeah, she's in Legally Blonde. She, just she's one, in or two one episode things. of Friends that I might be recognizing her from. She did a voice in Scream Two that I'm definitely not recognizing her for, and then she did Hellboy. That's it, yeah, like a handful of films that yeah you might have seen, but just yeah, she was kind of a a name for a while, yeah, but not a very long while. She in these films, she comes across like. A really good actor who's not being let show any of it, but given that she hasn't like really done anything else, I wonder if maybe she's just not that good. I don't know. Um, um, yeah, I don't know. I think, I, mean, I think she's quite unwell now. I think she was in the news the other day that she's got MS, which is oh, kind of oh, really? sad. I don't know. I brought that uh, brought that depressing news to this podcast, but like talking about <laughs> Selma Blair. But I mean, I, I 
I don't dislike her in these films at all. I just kind of feel I don't know. It, it's just it, like I say, it has the feel of a good actor being underused. He's yeah. just maybe disinterested in the project because it's beneath well, them. Well, I think like she's that. she's deliberately playing a kind of. I, I feel like the character's supposed to be a kind of moody teenager, um, yeah. like that kind yeah, of feel. Completely. But she's obviously older than that, and and she's feels like she's yeah. playing it older as well because she's. And like in, in the second film, particularly, like she she wants a certain responsibility. She wants an adult life and and like relationship and all this. Doesn't feel like a teenager, but it it feels like that's what the character should be. And it's like that kind of mm. oh, I'm staying in my room. Nobody likes me. I turn to fire. <laughs> boo hoo kind of um, attitude yeah. and the self harming stuff and and all, and all that kind of thing. Uh, but yeah, yeah, so when let's let's look at the big uh, the tent pole here. Ron Perlman as Hellboy. When you look at Hellboy. You think Ron Perlman? I mean, that's obvious. It's <laughs> it's dream casting, really. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It's good. And I don't imagine Ron Perlman was um, too demanding uh, in terms of uh, his <laughs> wage and everything. I think he was. I think he was thrilled, thrilled to be given a role like that. To be perfectly honest, based on what little I've I've read into the production yeah. of these films, I, I oh, think it's he a was great, just very, great very. Part. Glad to be, and there, I think it, yeah. it fits. I mean, and I don't know how much I'm basing this on Hellboy, but I, I get the idea that Ron Perlman is quite a kind of, you know, sardonic, quite darkly cynical guy who's sarcastic and like that fits Hellboy. Mm. Um, yeah, but it yeah. might just be based on that's what he gets cast as all the time. <laughs> <laughs> that's another uh, another improvement between the first and second film is how uh, well the makeup on Hellboy. Yeah, the, the, he just. He always looks a bit rubber faced and like he can't quite move his mouth properly in the first film. Because yeah, in the I, second film, it's like. I didn't like it in the second film, actually. I thought it was worse. I thought generally really? things were worse. And yeah, it just felt. When the first film, it felt more like a full character and that's what he looked like. When the second film, it looked like a guy with stuff stuck on him, like a, a, like a full chest stuck on him and all this. I don't know. The, yeah, the, see, I, I thought the opposite. I thought the first one, he just looked like he'd. I don't know, you look like awkwardly airbrushed whenever he appears. There's definitely the one. face needs more character somehow. It's like it's the skin is too kind of smooth and unblemished. Smooth. It's kind of yeah, yeah it yeah, needs yeah. a little bit more character to his face. It's that it's the it's the upper lip just didn't doesn't move look right doesn't in move. the first yeah, film yeah. for some reason. Well yeah. I didn't notice that improve in the second film, and I generally felt that the makeup was worse on him. Well, I th- uh, I maybe think it's, more the body. I think it's a different because Mike Manola, uh, his comics have got such a unique uh, look and art to them that they even reference that in the first film. And he says, "Oh, they never get my eyes quite right." I think they was acknowledging mm. that it was yeah. never going to be a direct sort of translation to to the screen. That sort of quirky, eccentric art style that they've mm. got. Um, well, I, I I think in this first film that definitely the the blend of like CGI and animatronics and sort of whatever else they're using man in a suit kind of situation blends very nicely I think considering yeah, it's 2004 it is it has not aged uh, badly at all I think it's very good I wonder in a few years time that like people will look back on like the shitty CGI of like the early noughties and be like get this nostalgic feeling for it like Ray Harryhausen's <laughs> animation you know oh man I, well, I mean yeah, people do maybe. that on the 80s don't they look back at like oh you know we all we know we all know it looked a bit fake and naff when we was watching them but we look back on them like oh I love them old practical I guess, effects yeah you, you've got that for like lawnmower man level CGI already so yeah yeah maybe I don't know 
that that is the the most fascinating thing with CGI is how how accepting we were when when it came out. Like I remember going to watch these films at the cinema and just being blown yeah. away at the special effects. And then because we'd never seen it, give it two years yeah. and you go back to them. It's like oh yeah, that doesn't look great. I feel like we've got to be coming out the other side of that though. Like I I can't imagine in a few years time we'll be looking back at like Thanos in Infinity War and thinking oh that looks oosh. You know, I, I I don't know. I I don't know. <laughs> it, it... Yeah, the only reason I'm bringing CG up is because like I maybe I'm jumping to the uh, jump into uh, the uh, the reboots uh, too quickly, but I was watching the trailer for it uh, before watching Hellboy, and it just it just looked like an overabundance of CGI. And my I've, I've not seen the film yet, so I need to. I can't judge it until I see yeah. it. And I just thought, oh. well, Mil- Milijovic is in it, which doesn't. <laughs> she, she's uh, always a stamp of uh, doesn't set a good precedent. <laughs> stamp of quality, isn't it? Like, uh, seeing... <laughs> I, I've got to say, actually, do you know what? Do you remember, Alan? Um, I can't remember what it was we were pitching ideas for, but we I, I remember very distinctly we pitched the idea of casting Milijovic as a female it was Tomb Raider, wasn't it? Mm. Uh cast Milijovic as a female villain, like to do a bit of campy chewing the scenery villain acting because mm-hmm. we thought she'd be great for it, and it's a shame that never never been given the opportunity. That seems to be what she's doing in the new Hellboy film. <laughs> good, so yeah, uh, that's good. Hollywood was listening. <laughs> <laughs> There's supposed to be a secret, like, and they keep the guy's a secret. And one of the big things is like, yeah. oh, people keep taking blurry pictures of him, and they think he's real, and we have to stop him going out. And then they, hey now, <laughs> hey now, stop going outside, please. Don't go out there. <laughs> and then they go on this huge, they go on this huge rampage through the streets with Hellboy chasing a hound of of hell. And I know I was thinking that. And then, right, like, like after the it, now, then. after it, like, hey now is going. Uh, hey now, hey now. Uh, but I've, I've had to suppress everything <laughs> we've we bought up uh, the videos that people have talked like what it's not it's not it just wouldn't happen like it's it's just not handled very well this idea that they're supposed to be secret and then obviously in the second film he he announces himself to the world and you've killed me <laughs> um, right there's a bit in this first film where they're in a museum, and this this hound of hell has broken out of a statue or, or some such yeah. Ghostbusters thing. And um, look more like a predator to me than a dog. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he did. And then when they're in there, they're breaking in there, bad guys, and the security of this museum sort of, you know, come and find try and find out what's going on. The alarm's going off. Now I haven't been to America. Is it standard practice for American museums to have armed security? Yeah, everyone's got a gun. Is that is that normal? Just yeah, like probably a bloke that wasn't like an that wasn't like a work issued gun. That was just his gun. Well, one of his favorites. There's more security there than you would have in any museum, like overnight security. There's like six <laughs> of them there within thirty seconds. There's no way that's any true. museum's that got that. Very much. True. Like one bloke <laughs> <laughs> with a. But yeah, I was gonna say like how how much security do you think is on hand at? Let's go with the British Museum, like one of the biggest museums in the world. Well, that's it. I know what... One guy? The people they have working there is just like, they're usually like retired. They have a little chair to sit on in the corner <laughs> and they go, oh, yeah, yeah, don't, don't take picture. Yeah. Oh, what? Toilets? Yeah, they're over there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'll tell you what didn't work though and what Guillermo del Toro seems not to be very good at is writing for humans. 
<laughs> Not very good at that. Any scene with just yeah. those two in it, is Selma Blair and the other the guy, like just very crap. Like the bit where in the taxi and taking pictures and they just sort of lean out the windows. Just an awful scene of not people who just written by someone who's yeah. never known normal people. I think. <laughs> Guillermo del Toro. Yeah, I'd love to. Yeah. I'd love to hear the doorbell and get Guillermo del, Guillermo del Toro in, but. Um, I can't do the Mexican accent because (laughs) hey man, it's me Guillermo del Toro. It's Cheech Marin, everybody. (laughs) Ren and and Stimpy. (laughs) (laughs) Hey man, that is offensive. And I'd just like to remind everyone that Sol is half Mexican and he's allowed. Yeah, I'm allowed to do this. It's fine. It's fine. Yeah, del Toro is is more kind of no. That's uh, this is more of a sexy Spanish movie. Uh, <laughs> that's not del Toro at all. Um, how did, he kind of talks. He, he's a bit deeper down here, and then he's got that kind of. Uh, there's there's one other thing I'd like to bring up about this first film. Yeah. What is going on with that song over the end credits? Oh man, you got to put a great bit of rock and roll over the credits, man. I thought it was like a like a western sort of motif, wasn't it? There's the font and the music. Or was that a memory? Yeah, there was a bit of a sort of Quentin Tarantino font to it. But no, I don't mean the music. I don't mean like the score. I mean the song that's over the actual credits, the with the lyrics and everything. Do you do you remember it? Ah, no. Oh, Sol, I can't believe you didn't pick up on this. Oh, it's the lyrics are like everybody calls me red. That's the color <laughs> on my head. I'm six foot five and really hard. Everybody's scared of me. I'm hell boy. Yeah. I don't want to be buried in a pet cemetery. <laughs> it was a really classic Will Smith sing the, the, the plot of the film <laughs> uh, song. I think we should bring we'll that back. Wah, wah, hell. We need to see that back in the mainstream. It's just these sort of cheesy tie-in <laughs> oh, movie can, songs. Well, it's made a comeback. Venom! Oh, yeah, Venom, that's Venom, it. Venom, Venom. <laughs> Apparently, it's Hellboy by Forceps. Forceps. That's a strange that's a name for a band. Spell F-O-R-S-E-P-S. Please welcome to the stage, Forceps. <laughs> Before they call me red Okay, so can I ask, how was this film received? Did it do well critically slash with audience? Um, as as we say, it it had a kind of cult following, so I think audience members who saw it were largely fairly positive. But I, I don't think it, I, I. I don't think it did particularly impressively, financially speaking. It obviously did well enough to get the money together for a sequel. I don't know how much of that was off the back of uh, Pan's Labyrinth mm-hmm. and Guillermo del Toro. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think it's always been a franchise that was kind of just on the cusp of being financially worthwhile. And, and you know, we'll get into Hellboy 3 uh, in a bit, I'm sure, and how that, you know didn't happen despite Guillermo del Toro's best efforts for the last decade. Um, 
Yeah, I, I think uh, the second one I remember being critically lauded. Um, See, now it, this it is this is interesting. Very, very well. <clears throat> this is interesting, and you've seen the things you've said so far seem to suggest that you prefer Hellboy Two. Basically, my feeling on Hellboy Two was this was it felt like significantly lower budget. Like it just felt like everything really? was. Yeah, apart from the fact that they have more creatures and stuff like that, it felt I like... I had the exact opposite thought, genuinely. I, I made the exact opposite note. that um, uh, my, my note regarding the second one, the first note I made, is that this film is just all round. It just feels better. It feels like it's been made with more confidence that was lacking in the first one. It's as if Del Toro's become a better filmmaker since he made the first one, See, I, and then I've made a note, I don't know if that's just down to an increased budget. See, I think, I sort of thought the opposite. I thought everything was a little bit more slapdash. Particularly in the earlier scenes, the editing was very choppy, and really not, didn't give any flow. And and the budget thing, it felt like all the money had gone on creature design and stuff, and, and so... I don't know, it just everything else was a little bit kind of thrown together. So they couldn't afford David Hyde Pitt. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but also well, well should we jump off the first one? Um before we move into the second oh, yeah. one, it feels like we're kind of transitioning. Okay. Oh transparent. Transitioning. Oh <laughs> Okay. <laughs> it's not a very recognizable voice, is it? <laughs> Key to a Jeffrey Tambor impression is you just make your voice as deep as it will go. <laughs> that's that's all there is to it. <laughs> Who know? Who know? So what happens? It, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. See, there you go. That's all right. <laughs> Alan, Alan, say there's always money in the banana stand as deep as you possibly can. Okay. Who now? There's always money in the banana stand. That's not too bad. <laughs> That's all right. It wasn't too bad. <laughs> it actually works quite well. So, are we going to rate the film? Is that what you mean by uh, capital? Yeah, yeah. Let's yeah, let's put a bow on it. I I think the first film overall is good fun, competently put together, a, a lot, hell of a lot going for it, but it really does kind of just begin to fall apart under its own running time. It, mm-hmm. It's just a bit too long and drawn out. I think mm-hmm. and the pacing. Um, which is quite good initially, just becomes very drawn out in the last act, and I lose interest. I, I give it a very low seven out of ten. I think I kind of echo most of that. I give it a, a good solid seven. Uh, sevens all around, then I think seven, seven, seven. See it, lucky. Um, yeah, I've, I quite like it. It's, it's a product of its, a product of its time. Um, it's yeah. a sort of anomaly in sort of that sort of uh, period of superhero films and. But yeah, then uh, Del Toro just went off, made Pan's Labyrinth. He, he's very much a one for you, one for me sort of filmmaker, which isn't quite fair because when he's making his Hollywood blockbusters, they're still very much. It's not like he's selling out by making Hellboy, is it? It's still very much a Del Toro um, stuff, product, yeah. but but it's kind of like I'll do something a bit highbrow Del Toro, then I'll make blockbuster Del Toro. Mm. And, um, so yeah, he went off, did Pan's Labyrinth. That obviously was uh, a very good move, did very well for him. Probably the most well-respected film of his career, I would say, overall, although it didn't win Best Picture like The Shape of Water did. But Shape of Water wouldn't have been made or get into Oscar territory if it wasn't for Pan's Labyrinth. Yeah, yeah. It was, exactly, it was the exactly. precursor to that in terms of his you know, mm. reputation. Mm. 
this felt like this was the film Guillermo del Toro allowed much more freedom and, yeah, and kind of allowed completely. to do what he wanted to without as much sort of studio kind of like, oh, let's try this, let's try this. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying that's a good thing. In fact, I'm saying that's a bad thing. Well, this thing. is the thing. I, I, To me, I think that is a much better thing and it leads to a much better film, but it sounds like you think the opposite. <laughs> yes, and, and not that it's... I just think it's... And perhaps it's just we want different things from these films. Like I, I feel like this sort of... We go further into a fantasy world... Um, that yeah, which I'm not that fussed about, and and obviously that's what Del Toro wants to do. That's what yeah, that's what Del Toro is good at. I thought it was a great realization of a fantasy world. I thought it made this distinctly very different from most superhero films. Uh, this reminded me of old classic adventure films, like um, you know Amblin shit from the '80s and Labyrinth, and these kind of fondly remembered films. I don't tend to like as much as people who remember them from the '80s, but it kind of I did sort of think at one point it's weird that this film isn't as fondly thought of as, as those other well, films. Well, I can tell you why. It's because it was made twenty years later. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> but but I, I made the I made the same note. I said this is starting to feel like Labyrinth, but I preceded it with the note. It feels like they're trying to do too much with the creatures in this one. So it, it, well, it, I, I, that felt I, like they were just know, trying I, to do too much and like, oh, here's another creature, here's another weird face. I thing. like that. Yeah, same here. I, what I really like this film for though is this feels a lot more like streamlined and like the plot isn't as all over the place as the first one. It doesn't get as bogged down with bullshit in the last act as the first one does. I, I think the pacing largely maintains certainly a lot better than the first one it, but it the, just felt like a much better polished you know screenplay and overall bit of writing which isn't to say it's perfect my problem with that is that the, the script is so basic it's so like black and white it's like oh i'm in love with this stranger oh now i'm gonna lose the world for them and like oh no it's all this it was all so obvious it was so black and white and and that really just yeah but that's true of the first one as well i don't know well it, it plodded along it was fine this felt i just this just felt too basic for me in terms of story that i just didn't care and it was just like a little bit it kind of hit all my buttons about like true love and all this bullshit that i don't like so that kind of annoyed me in a lot of aspects and, and yeah, maybe it was just because I just watched the first one or whatever. This just felt like you know, it's the same thing, and uh, yeah, it was just. I, I think this is the same thing, just done a lot better. Honestly, that that's and and you know what? Um, there, there's a few little things uh, other than that. So the creature work, I think's fantastic in this film. It, it makes everything. That troll market would have been so boring were it not for just this plethora of just every shot it's like a new interesting creature design i think half of them are played by doug jones it's, <laughs> it's um it's great i i love when he's beating up that that um total recall reject and there's a tumor <laughs> on it and but that that's like what that. I'm, that's I, what just felt a little bit too 1980s like Jim Henson workshop oh, I love about that stuff. him. I love... Well, that's it. but I like that looking back at something from the 80s. But this was a bit too like I feel like it needs to be something new or it needs to be moved on somehow. Or oh, look I don't know. I, 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 I think it was. It, I, I think it, a lot of these are far beyond anything you'd get from Jim Henson's workshop in the 80s. It, reminds, it did feel like a lot of the it reminded me of like something you'd seen in Star Wars or something. It was like his own sort of take mm. on you know like Tatooine or something like that. Yeah, except done of... well. Because <laughs> it's shit in Star Wars. <laughs> you can't. You 
you can't think the creature effects are bad in Star Wars, can you? Like, I'm not even a big Star Wars fan, but, like, the the one thing they've pretty much inarguably got going for the... Well, the one thing they've got inarguably going for them is music. The second thing they've got is probably the special effects. I mean... Yeah, but I'm talking about in the in the like the in the tavern and stuff where it's just like a bloke with a papier mache head and stuff. Yeah, and, and what I love with Del Toro is that you know that was all him. Yeah. That wasn't like you know, that's not like George Lucas, who's presumably just said Oh, just just put a man put an alien in it. Make up a cool alien and like let someone else do it. You know Del Toro sat down and like He's got done a little elaborate sketches of, things, of all yeah. the monsters he wants and <laughs> This monster here is going to be the uh, the gatekeeper to the world, and and you know it's it's you know he's like really put a bit of time and effort into it, and he know it, yeah. it just feels like someone with real vision who's really thought it through, like a director should, and mm-hmm. that's that's what he does. He, he's he's the monster director. <laughs> that's his shtick. So I like that this film offers him a, a canvas where he can kind of do his thing, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it just felt like a really natural fit for it. I I think that's another thing actually. I I always kind of remember the Hellboy films just being these kind of mainstream efforts from Del Toro. And I forgot how much of a Del Toro film this one is through and through. The first one feels like it's him watered down a little bit. Yeah. This mm. just feels straight up like Del Toro. Yeah. Um there's a kaiju in it at one point. Um mm-hmm. Is that, is there's that, an, an army of robots. <laughs> it's got everything mm-hmm. he loves. He's still got a bit of the Lovecraftian sort of stuff. In yeah, there, yeah, yeah. Think. Loads of it, yeah. This seems more to do with being in the sort of... If the first film was about Lovecraftian cosmic horror, this one is more definitely in the sort of token, sort of, or token yeah. fantasy sort of realm. And and it makes it palatable for me. As someone who doesn't like that kind of high fantasy nonsense, it, 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 it makes it work. It, it does it with that Del Toro you know, charm in the eye that we mentioned. It, it kind of... I was alright with it here. I quite enjoyed it. It felt very much like, uh, hey, remember the Lord of the Rings? We're, we're doing that in this one, kind of mm. wink and a nod. Well, that guy looks like Legolas. <laughs> the opening of this is a little John Hurt uh, bit of uh, flashback to the young Hellboy John Hurt telling my bedtime story, which is actually a sort of true story of this human elf thing. It's a load of Lord of the Rings nonsense, but it's shown uh, very nicely visualized with these yeah, kind like of that, the shadow puppet type wooden puppet sort of yeah, animated things. Yeah, it's a nice way of doing it. It gives it a lot of character, um, and it's just a very exposition-heavy opening, but it sets up the story. It's, but it's, it it's done in a way with charm, though, especially obviously. Yeah, he's uh, telling a kid's story, so you've got that sort. And that's of... it. It's not. Pure exposition in that you you get a bit of uh, get a bit more insight into the relationship he had with John Hurt and his upbringing when he was just a kid and I think it's nice, it's nice done with enough them. kind yeah. of justified you know character development and what have you dripped in around it yeah I I like that scene my my other big my other big problem with the film in general if I just bring it out straight away is it feels very rushed. Um, now this film's a full like twenty minutes shot on the first one, and that's a good thing. But it feels like they've done that by no, just not. chopping down. It is. It's almost the exact same length, I think, isn't it? No, it was shorter. I think it's about three minutes shorter. <laughs> well, I'm looking at IMDb now. On, yeah. Right, Hellboy the first one is is two hours two minutes long. Hellboy two is two hours long exactly. 
Okay, so there's no excuse for this then. Um, there's basically the whole thing feels very rushed. It just feels like a lot of the gags are lost because the pacing has been killed by the edit. Really? By the edit. Yeah, a lot of I, a lot of just I, one line, line of things of... that just get die on die on the film. It's just. I don't think it feels rushed at all. I, I I think again, if anything, I think this one needed a bit of a trim in the third act, um, but it's not nearly as bad as the first film where it really just begins to blow out. But um, but I don't mean in I, terms I of think... like the action scenes. I'm talking about dialogue, just little little interchanges I, between. I, I, I don't people mean in just... action scenes. I mean in terms of everything. One one thing I think though, I I I think this film has a much better grasp on its tone than the first film. This one knows exactly what tone it wants to hit, and it sort of sticks to it throughout the whole film. It's this sort of... It feels a lot more playful, a lot more willing to blend a kind of sense of humour with this kind of fantasy nonsense, but like you say, done with a bit of a charm. The first film always felt a bit unsure of what it was doing in that regard, and like they kind of, I guess, pulled their punches in some places, maybe shot things a few different ways, so they have a you know, be able to figure it out in the edit. It just feels very um, natural here. Like, they've really fallen into a comfortable groove in, in a good way. I find, it, I find it interesting you've taken the exact opposite <laughs> reading from this one as me. And and even just the, the creature design just is better in this one. You know, the, the first film, it's obvious, like, Del Toro said, look, I want some Lovecraftian stuff. And they've gone, all right, we'll slap some tentacles on it. Is that all right? And he's gone, I guess I'll have to do. We've not got the budget to redesign it. And and you end up with these, you know, they're all right, those, those predator dog things, but they're not massively interesting. I've seen a million things like that in films before. But here in the second film, it's pure Pan's Labyrinth, wonderful character designs. Those tooth fairy things at the start alone are better than any of the designs in the first film and and you know it, it, so it, it just I don't know I just think it's done better and, and then it's things like um, did you notice the the repeated use of screen wipes in the second one mm, that I don't think no. are in the first one well there's a lot of really cool screen wipes put to use in the edit and when I was watching it I, I thought is this a nod to the fact that this is a comic book movie? Is this like Ang Lee's shitty Hulk film we talked about a few weeks ago, where he kept doing split screen and comic book panels to try and emulate it, but it's just done subtly here and done well? Because there's a few points, um, for example, early on, there's a there's a camera sort of pans uh, down, and there's a screen wipe with the screen sort of being tied to this bit of piping, and so you kind of get this split line, diagonal line across the screen that as it we go from one screen to the other, but it, it almost looks like a different comic book panel and you're pulling across. Um there's a point in this film at one point where it does go split screen to show two things happening simultaneously because it's relevant, but it it's almost presented like a comic book would do it with the panels. Um, there's a lot of really nice screen wipes with just, you know, someone will walk across the camera and the, the new scene will follow behind them. It, it's done in a very subtly unobtrusive way, something that can be very jarring, and mm. I think the fact you didn't even notice it yeah. is testament to that. <laughs> um, so yeah, <laughs> I, I really liked it. Um, I, I remember, well, at the end there's that sort of freeze, is it freeze cut or freeze frame? Moment. Oh God! When that what? Yeah, on his face when he hears 
Two be. babies? <laughs> that was like such a sitcom sort of. Uh, <laughs> I know, what was, yeah. But I don't. It's got it's got some charm to it. That's what I liked mm. about it. It's like. Well, I was going to ask: is there is there some relevance to the fact that it's twins? Like, is that something from the comics or something, or was it just I simply f- so that he could go two? I think it's tied into um, the mythology. I think the the third film is going to explore him actually having to. Uh, fulfill his destiny. Of course, of, it, would uh, it be? Would it be like one Hellboy an and one Fire Girl? Yeah, something like that. Like, or would know. they be like half and half? I don't know if they are in the comics. I don't know if it, that was a Del Toro sort of uh, inclusion. Actually, I'm sure. Maybe he because it was. It's a shame that we'll never get to see the third the third film. You know? Yeah, it'd be, like, I, I... it'd be like when Donkey shrugged that dragon, and all the babies were like half <laughs> yeah, donkey, yeah. half dragon. Yeah, I think it's a real shame. Kind of the third film. I've mixed feelings about Hellboy three, but um, yeah, I I guess we should save that till we finish talking about the second. Well, one, should we talk about the new characters that come in in the second film? Yes, Johann Kraus. Johann Kraus, who is like a Seth big McFarlane. part of why I think the second film is better than the first one. A very cool character. Is, uh, the addition of this character, great concept, very true to what I know of Hellboy. Is these kind of High concept characters like the uh, the half reanimated body on <laughs> used in, like attached to a backpack in the first film. Uh, here we have a, a a sort of ghostly entity who's in a big suit to give him a kind of tangible body to use with a German accent voiced by Seth MacFarlane. Brilliant. Yeah, and of course it's like a what more could you want? It's kind of like a steampunk Robbie the Robot kind of design. So it feels like from another time as well. It's quite cool. Yeah, and, and Seth MacFarlane's a very polarizing figure, but say what you will about him, I think the one thing everyone can agree that he is very, very good at is voice acting. German accent. He's good in <laughs> Um I, I think he brings a lot to the role here. He brings a lot of personality. It is odd to go with him over like an actual... German. You know, Udo Kier or a Werner Herzog. Werner <laughs> Herzog would have been great. <laughs> but... <laughs> But it's an interesting choice, and I think it works. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah not- they get away with it. And, and obviously, like the first film, there is. We haven't really specified that much, but there is a real sense of humour to these films. Um, mm. And to, so to get someone like Seth MacFarlane to play this character in quite a comedic way, frankly, it's. it's yeah, it's, yeah. Um, completely. It makes sense to get a comedian in to do it. Uh, but yeah, they do yeah. genuinely embrace the comedy in these films, and that's what I was sort of saying earlier. It never feels like it takes itself too yeah, seriously. He makes a he makes a young Frankenstein reference at one point, which I I can only assume was Seth MacFarlane's doing. I although I don't know, Guillermo del Toro is probably a massive fan of Young Frankenstein too. Actually, mm. and then, mm. do you know what? Actually, now I'm just thinking about that. I think that's possibly what I don't really like about the second one is that it feels like I'm expected to take a lot of this very seriously. Um, and I think, really? yeah, and I think See, again, I got the exact opposite read from the second <laughs> one. The second one felt more playful Comedic. and does, silly yeah. to me. Mm, yeah. I think. Do you know what? It felt a lot more like less. It's just up its own the main. The, the main one. plot is just a bit crap and annoying, and and the actors they've got as the like, well, Luke Goss basically is the main villain, <laughs> and then yeah. this someone else who I've never heard of called Anna Walton. Who yeah, who's not never really done, anything done anything since. Or since. Um, yeah. Are both very poor, uh, and they're really big elements of the film, and they're really crap. Um, they're quite weak characters, badly performed. Mm. I was thinking, why, why the hell has he cast these two people <laughs> instead of two 
charismatic <laughs> actors. And they're not even interesting um, like character designs either. It's just yeah, it's just Well, like... that's it. Like I was thinking, okay, so they're just generic Lord of the Rings like knockoff dwarf not dwarf elf characters. Um that would be fine with, you know, a really great actor in the role who could really, you know, sell it and make it an interesting character, but but then... they're just two very they're not doing bad performances. <clears throat> they're just mm. not they're not bringing anything to it, you know? They're not yeah. and I, Luke, no, no, I, they're I, just I, doing I, it as it is I, on the page. It's I would, very boring. I would disagree with the, the with the Luke Goss. I think he has got an interesting look when he's got he's under makeup. You know, like in Blade Two he's, he's he plays the bad guy in Blade Two. And he has got that sort of I don't know, his well, high cheekbones. Uh, I don't know, like I, I, that's that's an aesthetic. Well, he looks <laughs> he looks like a generic elf to me. That's yeah. the thing. He doesn't look like. Uh... I thought there was something a bit creepy about the way he was. And pre- you know, well, presumably he gets these parts like this in Blade Two on the basis that he's good at the sword dancing and all that. So he must have some sort mm. of martial arts background. But yeah, it's it just like he was the one particularly early on that it just felt like they had to cut away from him for every line. Like he could only do one line at a time. That's like all he could keep in his head. Which, having seen a bit of that Bross documentary, I can totally <laughs> believe. <laughs> uh, we we spoke about Saul watched the Bross documentary, and we spoke about it in one of our uh, diminisodes that's on the Patreon. Um, and so I went and watched some of it, and I couldn't actually bring myself to watch it all, but I watched like the first 10 minutes. And Were you getting too pissed off with it? It was just too annoying. It was so Alan Partridge and Spinal Tap. and Rome wasn't built in a day. And f- me, that's true. But we don't have the time that Rome had. For the first half hour, I I was too annoyed with them to <laughs> deal with it. I, I if if it wasn't for the fact that I was watching it on my lunch break at work and <laughs> someone nearby was a huge fan of it, who kept kind of like checking in, like, oh, what what are you thinking? I probably wouldn't have stuck through to the end, <laughs> but I'm glad I did because it it did kind of it was worth it after a while. But no, I I, Although, I very much I have, have to say initial reaction of these guys are really fucking annoying. <laughs> well, out of the two, Luke Goss, who's the one in this film, he seems like a bit annoying, but probably all right. The other one, yeah, no, Matt Goss, was agreed. a total toss. Just a, the <laughs> ultimate bell end, wasn't he? And now you can't even play Conkers in England. Can we start a petition in, in on a bros, please? Can we start an on how what? ridiculous it is that you got you can't play Conkers, and if you do, you've got to wear goggles. That is the biggest problem. Can't play conkers in England. I can, I can live with it. Anyway, so yeah, Luke Goss in this film and Anna Walton, whoever that is, you know, just poor really, and 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 just yeah, you're right, just bring nothing to the role, and 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 also that the culmination of that whole storyline was so obvious that, but then they even fudged that. It was like obviously she was going to have to sacrifice herself to get him and all this. But they didn't even do it at the right point because Hellboy had already defeated him. It was like it was over already, and then she did it. Like they needed to do it when he was just about to kill Abe, and then she did it for love and all this sort of thing. If you're going to go into that, uh, it was just all a bit crap, basically. This the plot, the storyline, and the emotional journey that was supposed to go on didn't work for me at all. I I I agree. To be honest, the 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 main overarching A plot is quite dull and nothingy, but. I think the same's true of the first film, and I, I think the the set dressing they hang on it, the the humor, the side characters. I think all of that works so much better in the second film and elevates it, and it's just a lot better, personally. Mm. I think. But uh, yeah, I've not really got anything else to say about it. 
Yeah, I like I, I I would pretty much uh, disagree with everything what you said there. I I like the <laughs> the uh, character design. The, um, as as a a kind of fantasy, someone who doesn't know that much about it though, <clears throat> he's just Legolas, right? <laughs> the the character design. Um, or is there some subtlety to it that I'm not that I'm missing? It depends if there's been any other sort of mythology that's explored elves apart from the 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 Lord of the Rings. Like if elves were always supposed, to... I thought elves when I was younger. I thought elf meant like like an elf, like Christmas elf, you know, like little big pointy ears and a hat. Whereas is like now, in is that it for the second film? I think the second one's better. I don't. I think it's, I think it's significantly better, and that's the mainstream opinion. Um, but only <laughs> just. Um, most people do seem to think the second one's better. Uh, it, it was very much held up as one of those first wave superhero films where the second film was almost universally the better one. Spider Man Two, X Men Two, uh, Hellboy Two, uh, pretty much everything up until Iron Man Two ruined it. And and yeah, on IMDb, I think the first Hellboy's got like six point eight, six point nine. The second one has a seven. On Rotten Tomatoes, the first one has eighty-one percent. The second one has eighty-six percent. So it's only a slight thing, it seems, but it, it does seem to be the main opinion, mainstream opinion. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I, I give it a seven out of ten, but this time it's quite a strong seven out of ten, mm. as opposed to that weak seven out of ten for the first <laughs> one. Well, I gave it a five. Fucking hell. And that was very much like I was heading towards a six, and then the end of the storyline, I was just like, oh, fuck you, five. Um, I'll give it an eight out of ten, to be honest. Um, just because I gave the first film a seven, I feel like I've got to go up. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I think it's a shame the third film will never happen. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so, what, what, how far did it get? And I don't know much about this. So, what's what were the plans and everything? Um, Del Toro wanted to make it, like, I think probably before the second one even came out. Um, he's been talking about wanting to make it ever since the second one came out. Every few years he'd say, you know, I, I really want to make Hellboy 3. I just They just won't let me do it. They won't give me the money. He, he's done a lot of things. I think the last thing he did was he put a poll up on Twitter, like, do you want to see Hellboy 3? Yes <laughs> or no? And it got, you know... A, Let's see who shares crazy... this. I think I know who will. Yeah, but it it got a crazy amount of um, it got a lot of of votes for yes, you know, and he I, I think he basically said like, look, I'm if this gets over, it might have been just retweet this or like it. It was something like that. But he said if this gets a certain number, that will be enough clout for me to take it into a pitch meeting with the studio. Um, this is going to be my last ever attempt to pitch it to them because I've already tried about ten times and they've said no each time, and they said no. And I don't know if it was that he wanted too much money to make it, or they were just like, look, it, it's like a, people don't remember Hellboy, it was ten years ago now, nearly, or you know, I, I don't know quite why they didn't want to go for it, because on paper, you know, this is the director of Oscar-winning films now, it, 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 you feel like it, it should be a, a straightforward thing, as long as they're not asking for too much money to make it financially viable and in this day and age now with the cinematic universe thing you could very easily kickstart a little dark horse comics world I'm sure off the back of it which is probably to be honest why they didn't go for it they probably thought mm. 
the the sensible financial decision is reboot, start afresh, and we'll make a Hellboy cinematic universe and do our own thing from the ground up for with like a modern sensibility. So I think they it kind of just feels like they wanted to reboot it and do their own thing, which is what they are doing, I think. And I, as far as I know, the vision for this new film is kind of, well, Logan and, you know, Deadpool and all these art. There's an appetite for R-rated, serious, um, dark horror kind of, not horror, but I don't mean darker, more adult comic book movies. Let's do Hellboy with, like, gore and horror in it. That'll do really well. And I'm not convinced it will do really well, but... Uh... I don't know, I, I've got the impression that Hellboy has a weird sense of humour that is prevalent in these films, and, mm. and I'm hoping they haven't e- exercised completely from the new one. But then, you know, I'm not a, I don't, I'm not familiar with the comics, so, you know, they might be doing the Hellboy that the fans want. I don't know. Uh, I have seen the trailer, yes. So I, I saw a trailer, and then I, w- I looked it up online before we started recording, and I found a different trailer. So I, I've seen one that's very kind of focused on the action and sort of uh, special effects and stuff, and then another one that was really, really seemed to focus on the humor and sort of light entertainment value of it, and Big Mo out of EastEnders is in it. There was a, there was a bit of uh, I won't say controversy, but like the first trailer, everyone thought it looked a bit naff, and they wanted to see the darker sort of promised film that they was supposed to be getting. Mm. Um, so then they released another trailer, which was a little bit more sort of um, I don't know, a bit darker. It's like Neil Marshall. He he's, he directed the Descent. He directed yeah. some of the. Oh, I didn't even realize yeah. it's Neil Marshall. Yeah, d- yeah. Oh, that's very he, interesting. He, he directed some of the best episodes of Game of Thrones, like um, especially like the White Walker sort of action thing. So um, he's done like what else has he done? He's he's it's like Centurion. I know him from uh, yeah. I know him from Dog. the Descent, but he's um, he's kind of a staple of. Dog Soldiers was him, wasn't it? Yeah, see, yeah. I really like Dog Soldiers, and I really dislike The Descent, so... Uh, and I Doomsday was great. as well. I think it's... Yeah. I, don't, I, don't, I don't think I've seen Doomsday, but he's sort of one of them... I mean, after seeing what he did with some of the Game of the Thrones uh, episodes, I, th- I think he's a bit more up-and-coming. Up um, yeah, he did an episode of Westworld, he did a bit of... He did a Hannibal. He's um, sort of been cutting his teeth on bigger TV... Which seems to have let him make a bigger <laughs> film off the back of it. Well, fun, funnily enough, I <clears throat> I auditioned for his next film uh, quite recently. Um, you were, oh wow! Not not to him, obviously. The reckoning, I, yeah. No, I didn't audition for him. I was like the first gate casting director kind of thing. But the fact mm. that even someone like me is getting into the door of that is. Not suggesting that that is a high budget good film, <laughs> and, and in fact the script uh, that I read was pretty crap. So it's about witches and shit. So um, you didn't get it then? No. <laughs> so I can slag it up. <laughs> That's why you have to slag it up. What if, what if they call you up and say the act, the lead actors dropped out and we're filming tomorrow? Can you? That's all right. I'd be there. Take over. I'd be there. I could get there myself on public transport. You're gonna take this episode down. <clears throat> Well, it's a different name, isn't it? <laughs> Doesn't matter. Well, that's I, the, that's I the beauty of using fake names for everything. <laughs> <laughs> no one will ever know. <laughs> I, uh, I, I think it's like obviously I worked on the um, the Hellboy film, and what I, what I saw on set seemed like quite interesting. But then until you see it all 
put together, you don't really you, mm. everything looks like it's going to be good because no one, no one ever wants to make a terrible film, do they? That's the things. But <laughs> yeah. I am, I am disappointed by what I've seen in the trailer so far. I think some of the some, some of the humor mm. seems a bit off, like the bit yeah, where I, I, I... just seems a bit too sarky. It seems a bit like the problem is the Hollywood system is that a huge film will come out, which like everyone is sort of you know. Um, impressed by which breaks the mold of what you expect like Guardians yeah, of the Galaxy yeah, yeah. you know now everyone's trying to, every superhero film is trying to do in the sort of postmodern take on superhero films mm. that they're trying to revise the concept you know that's what we're going to see we're going to see more and more sort of superhero films just try to deconstruct its own sort of genre or, you know, I mean I, I think superhero films were postmodern almost immediately in order to I, the superhero boom we've got was almost, you know, Christopher Nolan's Batman was very postmodern, almost straight out the the, the door. And what I mean is like deconstructing the characters, like you got like characters like Deadpool, Guardians of the Galaxy, where the sort yeah, of... yeah, yeah. But I, but I think it's it's quite, um, you know, we 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 had films like Kickass and Watchmen. We had a lot of these very meta, self aware deconstructions very early on into the boom of superhero film. And then I remember when Joss Whedon was making the Avengers, he said he he doesn't think we we should be having those films yet because we're still constructing the genre. Like it's too early to be deconstructing it. Yeah. Um, so I I think the superhero genre is in a weird kind of flux, really, where like like you say, a lot of studios are doing their own thing and have a very good grip on what they're doing, Marvel. Um, and then a lot of studios are kind of running around like chickens with the head cut off, sort of trying to emulate that and with very mixed results. And so there, there's a weird mixture of um, kind of very sincere films that just do what they want to do and, and work, like Wonder Woman, for example, and then films that are sort of emulating that self-aware. Oh, we can't take ourselves too seriously. This is so stupid, and um, and it's very mixed results. And and Hellboy's in a weird situation because it's dark horse comics. It isn't one of the big powerhouse superhero studios, is yeah. it? I, I I don't know of any other dark horse characters actually. Do, do you guys? Is Judge Dredd mask the mask? It, is that, oh, is the mask Dark Horse? Yeah, it's, the comic's actually dark as well. It's actually yeah, yeah, really yeah, it is, yeah. I don't. I think Judge Dredd, Judge Dredd's two thousand AD is that yeah. part of Dark Horse publishing? It might be. Um, is it a British thing? Because Judge Judge Dredd two thousand AD British is a British thing. thing. Yeah. yeah, because dark because dark this horse. although Hel- I think Hellboy is it might be because Hellboy, I mean. They're letting Neil Marshall direct it. So. But this this Hellboy, well, seems from the trailer, it's all set in Britain. And, you know, if the idea is that he gets found in Scotland, and you know, I think it is that from the comics that he's British? No, apparently Dark Horse is an American company. Hmm. Wow. Founded in Oregon. Ooh, USA. Oh, they've got Sin City, The Goon, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I think that's a sort of based on the TV show. So they've got a few things, but I don't think they have a cinematic universe to play with. I don't think Sin City ever crossed over with Hellboy. And if it did, that doesn't sound like a anything anyone wants to see. But I'm okay like with that. I'm okay film. with the film not having to be tied to eight other films. Yeah, I'm I'm fine with that. I just mean from a from a perspective of, you know, them 
trying to carve out a slice of the superhero bubble at the minute. Mm. So they've got I've... a guy called David Harbour playing Hellboy, who, yeah, I've looked him up. He's one of those people who pops up in sort of things without he's being in, very he's famous. In Stranger Things. But he's in Stranger Things that seems to have made him much more of a kind of name. He seemed like a nice guy on set. I've got to you know, give you a little bit of inside gossip. But, like, have you seen this actor's speech? On that awards show, it's the most pretentious thing I've ever seen. No. What awards show was it? What? what it's the one where like we 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 own a rider is like pulling the face, and it became like a meme. Uh, they've got Ian McShane to play John Hurt. I've I've got a story about Ian. I've got a story about Ian McShane. Oh, I imagine right? there's quite a lot of stories about Ian McShane. Go on. <laughs> I was I was on the uh, the unit base right. Just yeah. arrived on the set. Just had some uh, like breakfast or whatever, and a car pulls up, and I didn't even know Ian McShane was in it. And I, I love him from like uh, Deadwood, yeah. Sexy Beast. I think he's fucking great. I think he's so charismatic mm, as a joy. person. Yeah, love Joy. But yeah, this car pulls up, and he gets out, and he looks at me right, and he looks at me like I'm a piece of shit. That was just like... <laughs> and he he summed summed you up that quickly. Yeah, like pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> He's very, very perceptive. He just, he just uh, Ian McShane is Ian McShane in real life. That is like <laughs> you expect. You know, you expect sort of like actors to be a little bit sort of you know um, not how you expect them to be. He was. He's, it was. He's just pure charisma. Like you, you expect them to be very disingenuous and insincerely yeah. friendly, like Chris Pratt, who I've also decided last week I don't like. Anyone, <laughs> like Rami Malek. <laughs> Oh no, like Ian McShane looked at me and he was like, just didn't give me sort of any, uh, it wasn't like, you know where, I knew where I was with him, basically, he was just like, I'm fucking Ian McShane, I wasn't disappointed, I was just like, <laughs> yes, and I was like, I was hearing him talk on set and he was like, as you can fucking imagine, like, he sounds like that in real life, he's just got really sort of charismatic, sort of, almost pompous tone about him, but he looks like a man who doesn't take shit off anybody, so I like Ian McShane, he's, he's alright in my books. <laughs> It is, it is interesting uh, trying to figure out how they're going to play it. Because th- this is the thing, it's so far it does just look very similar to the previous films. but It looks like the previous films, but without the spark of Del Toro, it just looks yeah. like... But there's some there's some imagery that looks like it's straight out of a Del Toro film as well. So uh, it doesn't make me think... It visually looks very informed by the films before it. And yeah. doing a reboot like this, you'd think they'd want to really set themselves apart and do something quite different with it, but... Mm. It's probably going to be shit. I am looking forward to Mila Jovovich, though, I must say. <laughs> her, the idea of her being the villain in something good is very appealing, and of course it might not be good. Uh, probably more likely it won't be than it will be, but, you know, I'll, I'll hopefully. Fingers crossed. Um... Hellboy. What, what, how would we do it, eh? If we were doing a Hellboy, I'd uh, I'd have him working in a hotel and calling <laughs> Bellboy. Is that a thing? <laughs> <laughs> I I'd have him I'd have him paired up with uh, with his brother, trying to make uh, as much money as he could for as little work as possible, and I'd call it Delboy. <laughs> <laughs> Alan, have you got have you got a Hellboy rhyme pun? Um, um <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. 
the thing. I, I honestly don't know how I would approach this if someone said to me, "How do you want to make this film?" Because I guess because I'm not familiar enough with the comics, I would want to do the comics justice, but I wouldn't know. I'd have to go and read all the comics. In all honesty, if I was to do uh, a Hellboy film, I'd probably just have it a really good animated. Yeah, I know they've you done. Know a- what? They have done animated films before, but I've just a really, really well animated film. I think that's yeah, like off the back of Spider Verse, you could maybe yeah. get that pitched. Del Toro is is big over at DreamWorks. Actually, you could probably get him to like do it <laughs> and like be, produce it. Give Ron um, Paul Perlman to voice it again. Yeah, yeah. I would. Yeah, I'd, I'd see it. I don't know. Be a bit more. Don't know. I think because the artwork is so unique and it's it's hard to sort of translate that to the screen, and you can sort of tell. Um, even with a new film, like the makeup looks great. Don't get me wrong, but it's like, yeah, <laughs> much to add, really. Sorry. Cool. Yeah. Alan, any anything to close on? Um, nope. So so that's it then. That's uh, that's Hellboy discussed, done, tick. Um, <laughs> if you if you out there listening have any opinions on Hellboy, come and let us know. Yeah, go to facebook.com forward slash diminishing returns podcast. Uh, okay, so what's next? What's after? Uh, what is next? Is it the is it our Easter special? Yes, yes, it is. Easter. Christianity from hell to God. Godliness. <laughs> We've been dabbling in, in this satanic filth. <laughs> so now we need to cleanse our eyes and brains by watching some good old Christian nonsense propaganda. But with Nicolas Cage. Oh, yeah. Which is going to make it so much better than last year's. <laughs>